I'm going to want, I'm, this, is, this is going to sound really strange to you, but this is the title of my sermon tonight. It pays to be in the secret service. I'm wanting to enlist some people into the secret service tonight because it pays really well. What is the secret service? Well, you know, another phrase, I, I almost use this for my title, but there's no success without the secret of sacrificial serving. Let me say it again. There's no success without the secret of sacrificial serving. Your serving has to be sacrificial or it's really not serving. It's really got a different motive and end in mind. When you serve, it has to be no strings attached. Can I get an amen? It has to be a dying to yourself and has to be giving away. And it can't be something that you're doing for you. It has to be. God is going to have to test your character, your integrity, your heart to see if you will serve selflessly and sacrificially the people that are around you before he can make you into a great success. How many of you want to be a success? You know, a lot of people today, I have to wonder if they even want any success in life. But, you know, success, uh, God wants you to be a success. That's why he said in Joshua 8, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest be able to do according to all that is written there. And then thou shalt make thy ways prosperous, and you shall have good. Can everybody tell me what that word is? Success. That's Joshua 8. God wants us to have success. Now, we don't measure success like the world does, but God wants us to have success. We must be willing to cooperate with God's seasons of sacrificial sacrifice, excuse me, sacrificial service uh, to others before our own success is going to be able to be entrusted to us. You know, there's a lot of people who are very talented and they suddenly have a lot of success, but because their character level is not as high as their talent level, they sabotage themselves and they self-destruct and they crash and burn. That happens all the time. It happens with pro athletes. You know, 90-some percent of pro athletes go broke after they've been a millionaire and made millions of dollars. They go broke and they go into bankruptcy. A lot of preachers who hit it big when they're young are reprobates when they're old. I'm sorry to have to inform you of that, but that's a, that's a sad fact and a truth because they built their ministry on their talent instead of their character. And it wasn't about serving others. It was really about exalting themselves. And that happens, and that's, that's sad, and, and it's... But there's something about when you are willing to serve in another man's, God will, God will give you your own. If you're willing to be faithful in small things, God will give you big things. And if you'll not despise the small things, God has some great things in store. But you know, I believe this, that there's a principle I call private disciplines produce public rewards. Everybody say that with me. Private disciplines produce public rewards. That principle I derive from... Matthew, the sixth chapter, verses 1 through 18, where Jesus gives three Christian disciplines that we all should be using that are universal, three universal private disciplines that we, if we will do these in our life, God will bring us to a place of public rewards, a reward us openly, it says. Now, we all know these. We've all read Matthew 6. It's a very, very common scripture that we all know. But let me just review it for you, verses 2 through 4. It says, do not your alms before men... But do your alms or your giving to the poor, that's what an alms is, in secret, so that your Father can reward you openly. See, over there in Isaiah 48, it talks about these three things too. And, and that the, the real fast and, and, and the real, you know, doing it privately, and that's what breaks the yoke of bondage. We're not going to go into that, but that's a whole other teaching in Isaiah 40. I believe it's Isaiah 48, one of those chapters where he goes into the fast and how they uh, were... It wasn't 
a real fast that some of them were doing. They were just doing it to be seen. And the Pharisees were known for that. Secondly, in verse 6, it says, do your praying. Go into the closet. Don't go out like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the religious folks and pray in front of every big, big, long, you know, complicated, grandiose, attention-getting prayers. But go pray in, excuse me, go pray in secret. That your Father will reward you openly. Everybody say openly. openly. See, what I think is when you're trying to do something openly uh, and, and show how great you are, God's going to shut you down. Anything you do do, he's going to keep it under, you know. He's not going to let that person be exalted. He says, humble yourself and God will exalt you, right? Humble yourself to discipline yourself and God will exalt you. Now, verses 17 and 18, it says, do your fasting. Don't go around with a sad face and looking like your hair's all messy and, and like you're all worn out and you're all fasted out and you're all, you know, crabbed out, most likely. How many know when you fast, you can get crabby? <laughs> and don't, don't go around like that. But make yourself look like you just got plenty of sleep and you're doing great and you're happy as a lark, even though you feel miserable because you're fasting. And your Father will reward you openly. Ever say private disciplines produce public rewards. That is a truth that in America we need to relearn again. And that instead of trying to be, you know, Hollywood would teach you just the opposite. And the, the pop culture would teach you shortcuts. And, but God doesn't work that way. Tonight I want to give you three examples of those who were true, great examples of this. And, you know, there is great sacrifice and discipline and when you choose to be disciplined in things of God, you will also come under great persecution and great criticism. Three great examples of this principle of, uh, you know, that sacrificial service is the key, the hidden key. Sacrificial serving is the hidden key to great success. And I call it secret service. Serving secretly before your God and not before your fellow men. Don't do it to be seen of men, but do all things as unto who, does it say in Colossians? Unto the Lord. So let all your serving not be as unto man, but let it be unto the Lord. It's called secret service. I'm going to give you three great secret service agents out of the Old Testament. Moses, Joseph, and David. And we're going to start with Moses. We're going to go back to Acts 7th chapter. And we're going to be looking at some things here that I believe are, are very, very powerful truths that I want you to get a hold of to make your life a success. You know, when we ask for people to get involved, that is one of the greatest opportunities to develop your life. You know, I'm not called just to preach to you. I'm called to engage you in the things that I teach you. I'm, I'm, it's a call to be engaged and put into practice and being a doer of the word, not a hearer only, deceiving your own self. It's a very dangerous thing to hear the word over and over again and not do it because the Bible says that's a sure way to harden your heart. And it's this first step to apostating away from God. And so we've got to understand how important it is uh, that we are doers of the word and we need to do it for the right reason and we need to do these things secretly our, our fasting, our praying, our giving, it's very important that we do that in the right context. And we're in Acts 7th chapter. Let's go to verse 22 to start out. And it talks about Moses and his brethren. And I'm going to just point some things out along the way as we use these three examples of the secret 
uh, service guys uh, who were great at secret service behind the scenes when no one was really looking. It says, And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. And when he was at full 40 years old, it came to pass in his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him and was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. For he supposed his brethren would have understood. And there's a lot of things that you might do, and you're trying to do good, and you're, you suppose that your brothers and sisters would know that you're trying to do good, but many times they will think just the opposite about you. And for he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. See, God had already talked to him. God had already kind of filled him in on the plan, but these folks didn't know it. And the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove and would have set them at one again, saying, Sirs, ye are brethren, why do ye wrong one to another? But he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Will thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? And then fled Moses at this saying, and was a stranger in the land of Midian, where he begat two sons. Now, this is where he goes into his hiding. This is where he goes into his secret service. This is where he tried to do something. He tried to be great. He tried to be a leader. He tried to have success. God had told him he was going to have this. And he thought he was just going to go out and do it without a season of, sacrif- of secret sacrificial service to others. He just thought, huh, I can do this thing. I was raised in the house of Pharaoh. I'm good at government. I'm going to go, and hey, you're my people, and, and you guy, what are you doing picking on? Uh, and he goes and he kills this Egyptian, and, and then and all, all they can see is this is, he's the big honcho. He lives in the White House. He, uh, he's against us. He's made his slaves, him and his family, and, and now he got mad at the guy, and he killed him. Boy, I don't want to provoke him. He might get mad at me and kill me. We don't know what he's really like. We don't know. They didn't know that God had told him he was going to be the deliverer. They're just seeing this violent guy saying, I'm going to be your leader. And then he kills somebody. I don't know if I want my leader to be a guy who kills somebody when he gets mad. I don't know if I want to follow somebody like that. And so anyway, so what happens is he doesn't understand a lot of things because he's never had to serve sacrificially like these people were who've been slaves for 400 and some years. And so God has to take him to the backside of the desert. And God enlists him in the secret service. And so he goes and, you know, they don't know that he's risking his life for them to deliver them. And, you know, and his brothers and sisters, and these are his actual brothers and sisters, they did not understand. And they said, are you going to kill us too? And then they, they end up by saying, who made you a leader over us? How many of you know, many times, the brothers, our brothers and sisters of the Lord don't understand and they misjudge one another. That happens all the time. Especially if you're trying to do something great, a lot of people say, uh, you know, he, he's a narcissist or he's arrogant or something like that. And, and so, you know, there's, there's a lot of things there that we could drive up for today. So let's go to verse 29. Verse 29 is the key verse. Then Moses fled at the saying and was a stranger. Was it, everybody say, was a stranger? It's because nobody knew him. Nobody knew he was there. Nobody knew who he was. Nobody knew what he was doing there. He was a stranger in the land of Midian where he begat two sons. He was a stranger there. He secretly was serving Jethro, 
for 40 years. He starts out, and I'll just tell the story, and you go to Exodus 2, 16 and 17, that he comes, he flees Egypt, you know, he flees where Pharaoh was, and he goes out here, and he's going, you know, where there's a well, and he comes across this scene where these young gals are there, and they're trying to take care of their sheep and get them watered. And some bully shepherds come and start bullying them, probably pushing their sheep back. He says, no, our sheep are going to go first. And, and, you know, Moses rises up, and he's going to do something sacrificial. He's going to take a chance here to rescue these gals. And he shows up, and he says, well, you know, what are you guys doing? And he has this confrontation. He causes these shepherds who are misusing and abusing their authority uh, against these gals who had their sheep there. And he runs them off, and... That's his first real, I believe, that's his first real heartfelt experience with serving others with nothing to gain from it. How many of you know if there's something in it for you, it really isn't serving? We've got to lay it down, and we've got to be willing to serve. Exodus 31, Moses, let's just, keep, let's just go, let's go on back there to Exodus, and we, we can just read these, and you can look at them and underline them in your Bible. It's, it's good to open your Bible and underline these things so when you go back and you try to remember it. And we can see that that, uh, he ended up marrying one of those gals. That might have been part of the reason why he was motivated to do it, too. Maybe she was really pretty. And uh, Moses was content to dwell with the man, and that is, you know, with Zipporah, the daughter of Jethro. And that's not Bodine, either. (laughs) Chapter 3. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he held the flock, excuse me, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even Horeb. You see, he became the lowest on the culture, the social strata, the scale. When you go, when you go from the house of Pharaoh to being a shepherd, that's like going from being a presidential candidate or the president in America to, now don't be offended if you do this, you know, because I've done it, clean toilets. Something nobody wants to do, right? Okay. He came all the way down the social scale to the bottom. And he served there. Now, you've got to remember, the guy's 40 years old. And he serves Jethro for 40 years. Everybody say that equals 80. <laughs> and they lived really long back then. He served there for 40 years as a shepherd. You know, you'd have thought somewhere along the way that he might have made it beyond shepherd status. I mean, that's a long time at the bottom. That's a thankless job. That is a servant, servant of a servant. That is as servant as you can get. He was there for 40 years. Little did he know that God was developing him to be the greatest leader with the greatest success to record in the history of mankind. Somebody say amen. amen. The way up is down. The way to success is enlist in the secret service. And as you look at his life, you can see that he had some problem with some brothers. Uh, you know, the brethren didn't like him. And, 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 uh, and so let's go back to 
And let's see the, the rest of the story. Turn back to Acts, 7th chapter, and we'll read the rest of those verses after what we had just read there up to verse 28. And this is very powerful, what this says. And as you read this, you can begin to understand the magnitude of Moses' greatness and his success. I like this. This is an amazing portion of Scripture. It says, Then Moses fled at the saying, was a stranger in the land of Median. That's where we left off. And then verse 30, And when forty years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight. And as he drew near, he beheld it. And the voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, I am the Lord God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, and the house of, Jake, of, of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled and durst not behold. Then said the Lord unto him, Put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. I have seen, I have seen the affliction of my people, which is in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, and I am come down to deliver them. And now, come, I will send thee into Egypt." That, you know, going back to Egypt would have been a very frightening thing. This Moses whom they refused, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge? The same did God send to be the ruler and the deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out. After that, he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your own brethren like unto me, who shall ye hear? In other words, he's saying that God's going to rise up a prophet, and that's Jesus, like unto me. And normally we'd think, you know, Moses, you're a prophet like unto Jesus. But Moses was the point of reference by which was... The description was given of the type of prophet that would be raised up, namely, who is Jesus. I would say that's a pretty high level of greatness and success. Can I get an amen? And I would say serving for 40 years in the secret service, nobody knew about it. Nobody in Egypt knew about it. All the brethren that were over there at Egypt didn't know about it. It was an obscure place. Jethro, you know, he was the priest of Midian. That was not necessarily where God's people were, but he must have been a man of faith. And it was where nobody knew what he was doing. Nobody cared what he was doing. He was a nobody in nowheresville accomplishing nothingness in the eyes of the, the political elite and the people of God back over there in Egypt. And God sends him to get the job done. Secret serving, secret sacrificial serving is the plan that God has for you to achieve success. Amen. And as I see that, I, I think God... You know, he has really uh, laid down a precedent for us. Let me go to Joseph, because we're, we're short on time tonight, and I'm going to go through these rather quickly. Joseph is another one. And turn to Genesis 37.5, who had some pr- problems with his brethren. How many of you know when you go to do something from God, it isn't the worldly folks that usually give you that much trouble. A lot of times it's the, pe- the people that are jealous or, or just some of the, the, the brethren, the church folks, sometimes will give you a hard time. And that's an unfortunate truth. You know, uh, you know the Baptists, you know, they, they, they're saying things about the Pentecostals, and the Pentecostals are saying things about the Baptists and the Methodists and the Lutherans and the Catholics and the, you know, the Episcopalians, and everybody's got something that they need to say, and, and it's because they're a little jealous or they got some type of attitude or edge against somebody. 
and it's really sad, but it was Joseph's brethren who did not get what God was doing through him. It was the brethren of Moses. Those were actually his brethren that were the slaves that he was coming to deliver. They didn't get it, and they were saying, who made you a ruler over us? We don't know if we like you. And, and many times the brethren don't, don't get it. And here we see the same thing. And it says in verse 5 in chapter 37 of Genesis, And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told his brethren, And they hated him yet the more. They already didn't like him because his dad liked him more than the rest, and he gave him a special coat to wear. And they did not like that. They were jealous. And so did you know, kind of like Mr. Moses how many of you know that Joseph kind of got thrust into obscurity too? Here's, here's Moses. His brethren don't like him. They don't get what he's doing. They don't get what God's trying to do through him. He's trying to be the leader without the sacrificial service. And because of that, the brothers don't get it. He's thinking he's just going to go into being a success without signing up for the secret service of sacrifice. And so what happens is they throw him in a pit. How many of you know that's a quick thrust into obscurity? Just like Mr. Moses was thrust, he ran ran for his life out of Egypt and was thrust out into obscurity. And before he knew it, he was a shepherd for 40 years under Jethro. Joseph, all of a sudden, is in this place where he's in a pit of rejection. Then he's thrust from that to the slave of Potiphar. And then he's thrust from that to the inmate of a prison. So, you know, you go from the, uh, the pit to Potiphar's to the prison, things aren't getting better, they're getting worse. How many would say that's some pretty serious obscurity? But he found it in his heart that in each place that he went, he outserved everybody else. See, I'm going to tell you something. It doesn't make any difference where you are on the outside. It's who you are on the inside. It's going to determine how far you're going to go upward. And you've got to go down first to the, to the secret service of sacrifice before you can climb the ladder of success upwards. And he went into this place, and it was a downward spiral from being his daddy's favorite son with his special you know, Brooks Brothers jacket on and the dream that all of his brothers are going to bow down to him and worship him, to the pit. But you know what? When he got to Potiphar's house, he served like no one they ever saw, and God prospered not only him, but God prospered Potiphar's house because he was there. And he worked so hard serving, sacrificially, selfless, somebody else's estate as a steward. And we've got to remember, we're a steward of other people's things, and it's God's. And so here he is, and then we know the story where the wife tried to get him, you know, uh, to compromise, and, and he fled, and, and then they threw him in prison. So again, you can't keep a good man down. And so, you know, you can serve your way out of almost anything. Let me say that again in case some of you didn't hear it. You can sacrificially serve yourself out of about any bad situation. I don't care if you, you know, if you're working at McDonald's and say, oh, it's the end of the world, you know. I don't care where you're at. You can serve your way. If you've got a servant's heart, 
Jesus served us and he served his way into the place where he rose from the dead because it says he made himself of no reputation and divested himself from all these attributes. And, and God, he made the ultimate sacrifice, which was to serve all of us. Can I get an amen? And then it says, and then he was raised by God the Father and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord of lords and King of kings. How many of you know that's pretty much a, an exaltation of success? See, the way up is down. And so he went down, but he never stopped his secret service. And nobody knew what he was doing in prison. Nobody really cared. There wasn't any of his brothers who knew he worked for Potiphar. They didn't know. He was a servant. He was out back taking care of all the jobs nobody else wanted to do. He was secretly serving at Potiphar's. He went to the prison, and he had to secretly serve there because nobody's going to see you in prison. And he secretly served there until they put him in charge of the prison. And then he served his fellow inmates and had dreams, interpreted dreams, and, and then found his way before the king. And then he served the king and said, you know, God told me what the interpretation is. You're going to have seven years of plenty. Then you're going to have seven years of famine. You need to save up in the years of plenty for the years of famine. And that's what's going to happen, king, and that's what your dream's all about. And he says, boy, I'd sure like to find somebody who could steward all that and take care of all that. And he says, I'll do it. So here he is serving again. He served him by giving him his spiritual revelation, and then he served him by doing the work that was going to be needed to make that all come to pass. How many of you say that this guy is just full of serving? But he ends up being a success. He sacrificially served in secret, in obscurity, and produced a public reward of success. Like Moses' 40 years on the backside of the desert, Joseph had, I don't know how many years, in the pit at Potiphar's in the prison, but he finally made his way to the palace and became the president and was exalted before everybody. He was in charge of all the wealth of all of Egypt, and the whole world had gone broke because there was such a famine, including his brothers and the family that was to come, which was the lineage of Jesus, which meant he actually saved the Savior from being circumvented before he ever got there as the family tree would would take it. So here he is, this great success that everybody came and bowed down to. And his own brothers did. And what God, what the enemy meant for harm, God meant for good. How many of you know that we need to learn some things about secretly serving? I'll tell you what, you know, when you're out there playing football, you don't win games out on the field. You win games in the weight room. You win games in the practice field. You win games in the study room where you're going through the plays. That's where the game is won. It's, if, if you're waiting to go out on the field to win the game, you're too late. You're too late. The investment should have been made a long time ago. If you want to do something great for God... And you just think you're going to go from, you know, Pharaoh's house to leading him out of Egypt. You're too late. You, you, the training should have started a long time. If you think that you're going to be put in charge of all the wealth of Egypt and be the steward over all the wealth of the rest of the world that's been in a famine, and you think you're just going to do it because you got a bright colored coat and your dad, daddy's favorite, you're, you're deceived. You're going to have to go through some things and prove to God that you're willing to serve in another man's before you have your own. A lot of people just want to have their own. Don't put me in charge. No. The way that you serve in another man's, Luke says, is the qualifications for having your own. So we can see these things. Now, David, let's go to the third one. and we'll, we'll, We're going to have to wrap it up here. We're running out of time. 
Turn with me to 1 Samuel 16. And you know what? David had some problems with his brothers too. All these guys. It's really strange. But 1 Samuel 16. And you've got this, this guy, David. And you've got the prophets going down. Saul has really royally screwed up. Samuel says, God, you know, God tells him there's a, there's a king over there at Jesse's house. There's a bunch of big, tall, handsome brothers, and they're all ready to you know, go over there and pick the next king. And so while David, you know, he, <laughs> his brothers are candidating before the prophet to be king, David was out keeping the sheep on the backside of the, you know, the plantation over there at Bonanza, whatever it is. Not Bonanza. Little Joe and all the brothers, you know, they're there. And they're saying, yeah, I'm the one. I'm here now. And it's interesting. How did this arrangement that everybody was there and David was on the backside of the desert? I mean, the backside of the the sheep field. Right there tells me there is some type of inequity between David and his brothers. Right there, I don't think David was the favorite brother. Right there tells me that all the big brothers were there uh, when the prophet showed up and David had been relegated uh, to the dirty work of being the shepherd. (laughs) I just have to wonder, whose idea was that? I don't think it was his dad's. I think it was his brother's. Okay, later in 1 Samuel 17, 28, David's brothers, you know, David is chosen king and he goes and he serves Saul and and then they're having this big confrontation with this big guy by the name of Goliath, and his brothers are down there. They've been trained. They've been through the military training. They're all down there, and they're uh, working as soldiers, and, and Goliath's over there, and he's taunting, and he's blaspheming, and he's uh, you know, saying, come out and fight me, and, and uh, you bunch of cowards, and if I win, you bow to us. If you win, we'll bow to you, and, and all this you know, you know, trash talks going on out there. And, and David said, man, this makes me sick. And David is double duty on secret service. What do you mean by that, Pastor Bill? See, David's brothers misunderstand him, but David shows up and he says, why isn't somebody doing something about this jerk? Why isn't somebody taking this guy out? You know, the king's over there scared, shaking in his boots, and all of his followers are shaking in their boots. And he gets up and he starts talking like, wait wait a minute, there's, there's something not right here. And verse 28, and it says, and Eliab... His eldest brother heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left these few sheep? See, it wasn't even that he was probably in charge of all the sheep. He says, A few sheep. I mean, they they were really marginalizing David. And thou hast left these few sheep in the wilderness. I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. It says, you little pipsqueak, you're supposed to be home working, and what are you doing here causing trouble? Why don't you go back home? How many of you know that he had the same problem with his brothers that Joseph had and the same problem with the brethren that Moses had? He's misunderstood. But see, he was doing double duty. Because if you look at 1 Samuel 16, 11, you'll find out something very interesting. You go back... And you can see that he was serving behind the scenes and he was serving David. 
I'm, I'm sorry, 1715. Uh, well, I'll just, I'll just read it. It says, 1721, David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly because of his, he was his armor bearer. And Saul said to Jesse, saying, Let David, I pray thee, stand before me, for he hath found favor in my sight. And it came to pass that when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took a harp, and he played with his hand, and Saul was refreshed. And as well as the evil spirit departed from him. So then he had this job, as we can see in verse 15, 1 Samuel seventeen fifteen. David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Now, what does that mean? David went and returned. Everybody say, David went and returned. So David was going back and forth from feeding his dad's sheep out in the field. That's what his brother says. You need to get back and do that. And it says he went back and forth. David went and returned. Went and returned means back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep. Now, then you'd go to Saul's house. And Saul was, you know, he was kind of, I don't know, bipolar. He was kind of up or down. You know, the demon spirit would come torment him. And he'd say, give me David. Give me David. So I wanted to play some of that music, that Holy Ghost music. And then he'd be calm and the demon would leave and he'd be relaxed. And he says, man, I like that David guy. Man, I'm glad we got that David guy. You know, it's better than paying the, the, the palace psychiatrist to come, you know. And uh, so he's so glad that David's there, and David's there serving him, and, and David's trying to make him happy. David's playing these songs for him. David's, you know, doing everything he can to keep Saul happy. How many of you know it's not easy to keep a depressed person happy? That's more work, let me tell you, than you can imagine. And then he has to go out, and he has to feed these sheep. And he's going back and forth. Everybody say, double duty in the Secret Service. Now, nobody sees him out there taking care of the sheep. He's the only one out there. Everybody say, Secret Service. Nobody's in the back room when the king is a mess and he's depressed and, and he's feeling bipolar or whatever his problem is. And, and nobody's back there. That, that, they're not going to let anybody in to see the king act like that. They're not going to let him in when he's fighting with the demon, except David goes in there. And, and nobody knows what David's doing back there. And, and He's doing all this stuff behind the scenes. Nobody knows that out there when he's feeding the sheep that there's bears and lions that he's killing. Nobody knows what's going on, but he's, he's doing it. You don't hear him ever talk about that he killed a lion or bear prior to what I'm going to talk about next. He's enlisted in the Secret Service. He is a personal servant of encouragement. And once again, this private discipline ultimately proves out for a public reward. 1 Samuel 17, 34 and 37. That secret serving in obscurity makes way for David's big day. Everybody say, the big day comes. How many of you know God has a big day for every one of us? God's got this season of secret, sacrificial serving before your day of success. That might just be at your job. It might be something that, you know, is a level of finances. I I don't know what it is for you. But I believe this is a principle that's too many times in the Scripture for us to ignore. It's too clear in the life of David. It's too clear in the life of Moses. It's too clear, excuse me, in, in so many lives. Joseph's life. You can go to Elisha's life. You can go to Joshua's life. You see these same principles. It's almost an identical scenario in all their lives. That you're going to have a season where God asks you to do stuff you don't want to do, and it's going to be behind the scenes, you're not going to get any recognition. 
if you're on the path to greatness. If you're not, if, you, if, you, if you're okay with mediocrity and never fulfilling God's will for your life, then just stay on the path of doing what you want. But if you want something great in your life to transpire, if you want to have a day like David did with Goliath, you're going to have to be proven in your humility and your secret sacrificial service to others. Because otherwise you don't qualify for what God wants to do in your life. David could have, uh, you know, really been discouraged. Now I look at this, and his brothers, how many of you know his brothers, his older brother tells him to go back home, and he says, you're not, you're a little brat. How many of you know there's going to be people that think you have a wrong motive? Number two, how many of you know when Saul, he went to Saul, and, and David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight the Philistine. And Saul said to David, thou art not able to go up against the Philistine to fight with him. Thou art but a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. Wow, that makes me feel really good. My brothers say I've got a wrong motive. I'm a little brat. I need to go home. You say I don't have the military training, that this guy, he's trained, and you're, you, know, you, you don't have any training. You're not on the same level of training. This guy is a man of war. Don't you understand that? And you're too young. And then Goliath has some words for him, too, that make him really feel good. In verse 42, it says, And when the Philistine looked out and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? That's his sticks. That's his, that's his, his slingshot. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I'll give, thee, give thy fresh unto the fowls of the air. And to the beasts of the field, he says, I'm going to make you uh, dog food. How many of you know those are not encouraging words? You know, you're ill-armed, you're, you're too young, uh, you have wrong motives. Uh, but you know, it's an amazing thing, David didn't get discouraged. How many of you know, it also, you see, that, and that David didn't get intimidated. Now the $64,000 question gets answered. And if you haven't listened to anything yet tonight, listen to what I'm going to say next. Confidence comes from this. Not because you're smarter. Not because you're bigger or taller or brighter or better or more talented or more skillful or, or any of these things. Confidence doesn't really come from that. True confidence comes from seeing God having you in training serving others for a long time for the exact event that is presenting itself before you. That tells you, oh my gosh, now I know why that bear came and I had to kill it. Oh my goodness, now I know why that lion came into the sheepfold that night and God, you showed me how to kill it. And oh my goodness, everything I have done for the past 10 years, and I thought it was something I didn't want to do, now I can see it was training me and making me qualified like no one else that I know is qualified. It has to be me, and it has to be God, and it has to be that I'm going to win. You know, if you will look at your season of serving, it will tell you something about your season of success. See, and if you will understand and have enough sense to see what God is doing and preparing you for, when that day shows up, there isn't a demon in hell that's going to be able to intimidate you because you know for the past how many ever years, 
My whole life has been preparing me for victory on this day. Let me tell you something. No one's going to shake your confidence. And if you haven't done that serving and you haven't put in that time, you're going to be so insecure and so afraid and you're not, you're not going to know if you're the one that's supposed to do it or one of your brothers are supposed to do it. But he knew that his brothers were over there shaking in their boots. He knew that everybody else thought, you know, that maybe somebody, but he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt because he could see it on the writing in the wall that God had been training him for this. And what if he wouldn't have cooperated with that training? He wouldn't have been able to do it. But his secret service, his sacrifice to others, all suddenly made sense and culminated in one day. Somebody say amen. David understood. And David understood that he didn't care if Saul said, you're just a punk. I mean, and his brother said, you got a wrong motive. And Goliath says, I'm going to make you into some bird feed. You see, David understood that his speaking his words of truth that lined up with his God, what he has been showing him over all the... See, he didn't just show up one day and, and oh, I'm going to fight this giant. For years and years, he knew he was being prepared to fight that giant that day. And he knew his words lined up with truth. And the secret service would override the lying words of the enemy and the ignorant. And they all said that you can't do this, you can't do this. But he's saying in his heart, but I know God has trained me for the express purpose to do exactly this. And David said unto the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and a spear and with a shield, and I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, thou hast defied. And this day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand. And he's thinking about a lion and a bear right now. And I will smite thee and take thy head from thee, and I will give the carcasses. See, he's done this before. Everybody thinks, man, you're really good. And he's thinking, oh, oh, if they only knew. I've done this before. This is just practice time. I've gotten good at this. And I'll give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, into the wild beasts. He says, I'd be afraid to fight him with a sword, but I'm so good with this stupid slingshot, I can take him out from 50 feet. I don't have to fight him. I can take him out, hit him in the head, and go cut his head off. I'd be scared to death. If, he's probably thinking, I'd be, you know, I'd be afraid to fight him in the way, but I've already been trained a certain way that I know I can take him out. I mean, you know, God's training will be specific. He'll prepare for exactly the only way that it can possibly be done. Oh, man, we're out of time. But you know the rest of the story. And he says these things, and and his confession is undaunted. I'll take thy head from thee, and I'll give it to the the carcasses to the host of the Philistines this day under the fowls of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then he went on and he did it. He said it, he spoke to his mountain, and then his mountain, he did it to the mountain. You know, Shane Philpott just wrote a book. Seventy years ago, you read this book, it is the most profound thing I have ever seen. How God used him to go in and write this book. And the people that started Radio Chapel in in Mason City, Catherine Kuhlman was there for many years, or for several years. And he had prophecies that came to pass that there's no way that anyone could know about 
And I, it's too complicated to tell you, but get the book and read it. But he went through the most horrendous struggles and kept serving in secret and sacrificing in secret. And God exonerated him in, in such a great way. We're out of time. I, I'm not going to start that story. I'm sorry I shouldn't have started it. But get the book and read it. But let me tell you something. One thing I have noticed, the people that secretly serve, sacrificially serve, there's an obscure time in their life. There's a season of your life where you may be where you don't want to be or you're doing things you don't want to do or it's a difficult thing. If you don't give your all in that season, you are sabotaging your future success. Everybody say it with me. I'm joining up tonight for the secret service. I'll serve in the nursery. I'll serve as an usher. I'll serve on the work days. I'll serve on the catering team. I'll serve in the children's church. I'll serve in the sound booth. I'll serve wherever God wants me to serve. Because he's preparing me for something greater. How many of you believe that tonight? Let's all stand up. Let's just go ahead and pray.